This is a very special episode for all the Alti peeps out there. Today we have an amazing guest, somebody that you've been waiting to hear from for at least three years. Um, I'm super excited about this episode. I hope all of you are. It happens to be a two-parter. So you'll hear the first this week and the following next week. Please welcome Viv. Can't believe you girls made me do this. <laughs> we love you. But let's, we, love we, you have, too. we have cocktails. Do you have your cocktail? I actually have Paul's cough drops and oh. water because I'm getting over a cold. So I start hacking and coughing. So gotcha. no, I couldn't do the cocktails. And I want to be sober when I do this. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have a celebratory drink because I have a Cuban, real Cuban rum and, nice. uh, and maple Coke. I have a shot cool. of almond oh, tequila. Oh, nice. Now you're making me feel bad. <laughs> no, you're fine. Wait, 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 wait. It's okay. Hey, I'll do the water. Oh, cheers. Damn, bro. cheers. Okay, cheers. cheers. You look amazing, my friend. Yeah, you know, I I actually picked this hat because I think it has all the values of me and Alti because yeah. it has love. Can read it, love, compassion, um, justice and belonging, kindness. I like that's the hat I want to wear. Yeah, I like that. I actually ordered it. Oh, empathy. There he goes. That's a big one. Empathy. empathy. So I think those are the values what we built Alti on. Yeah, that we all embrace. But. Yeah. So, how the hell did you get a cold in South Florida? Oh wait, because I my grandkids went to school, and the first week my son has hand, mouth, and foot get sick <laughs> for a week. <laughs> then my daughter, worst. my granddaughter, gets sick, and all of a sudden I got this major congestion. I was down last three days. I was my body was hurting, oh, no. but not too. Today is actually the first day that I felt good. Yay! I'm happy. Well, I you feel still like really good. You still look as beautiful as ever. So, uh, gracias, gracias. This is my new look now. It's always casual. I love it. I went from business clothes to just leggings and casual. I love that. Oh, that's my style. Lucky, if I, <laughs> lucky. I think I do my hair once a week. Not it's up in a pigtail. <laughs> I got sick of the corporate attire. I donated all my clothes. Like now I'm done. I'm done. Nice. Done. Done. Nice. You're like never again. <laughs> Never again. Burn that. No, and I actually donated all. I just donated. I don't. Now I wear heels. I'm like, ouch. I lived in heels. Now I was like, ouch. Why? Why did I do it? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to okay. wear. Like when we have to go out to wear like real clothes, it's not like comfortable like yoga pants or like a t-shirt. I'm like, man. No, and I told my daughter the other day, I've completely have lost my sense of style. Totally lost my sense of style. Like, <laughs> and before in the corporate world, I always had to dress up. I had to get creative. Now, like, I don't even know how to dress or put on makeup anymore. I don't know how. <laughs> but on makeup, I got an eyeliner here. I'm like, oh my God, no, I should not be doing this anymore. <laughs> I like it much better, though. Much yeah, better this natural. Way. I love it. it. It's, yes. fu it's funny. The other day, I had to actually go out with a bra on. It took me, like, I don't know, an hour and a half uh... to find a bra. I'm like, <laughs> why? that's the I other mean, thing as 61 like why am i still wearing a bra who cares yeah. <laughs> and, my, and he says exactly. like mom your nipples are showing i don't care <laughs> let them show give me a break that's another thing a woman have to like why do we do that to ourselves heels and bras you I know. know 
at least your show. Okay, mine are like halfway down to my belly. She was like, can you at least get a reduction? I'm like, nope. Let them go. Just let it go. I got a yeah, nurse. Let it go. Free. The older you get, the less shit we care about. Right? See, <laughs> dirty Skittles, you know, in about 20 years, you're going to have the same attitude. Like, I don't fucking care anymore. Yeah. No, I we don't. worked too hard. We went through so much shit. I'm like, I just don't fucking care. Yeah. If I go out, you don't look at me. I don't fucking care. Yeah. Don't look at me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to dress up to please anybody. Right. No, I want to dress to please myself, not right. for anybody else. Right. I did that Lovely. too long. Lovely. I, love I just spit up my, you know, Cuban rum and coke. <laughs> love you both. Yeah. Do you wow. spit it into your cup or mm-hmm. you just spit it? <laughs> nice. And you drank it again? Are you regurgitating? <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting, girl. That's TMI. It. You did not have to share that. Baby I baby burned it. <laughs> I told you we're here. We're going back to being kids again. I that regression stage. This is how it begins. So someone will be cleaning up our shit soon. I know. Dude, you know, I don't want to waste, you know, the bottle itself was like 60 bucks. I don't want to waste the rum. But why do you spit it out then? Yeah. Well, because I was regurgitating. <laughs> I was laughing so hard it was about to come out someplace else. All right. So mm. I just wanted to like make sure we were okay. Yeah. And you do you. Bring out the worst in me. <laughs> the absolute worst. No, I do not. That's not true. <laughs> that wasn't my goal at all. I was the goal to bring out the best people, not the worst. <laughs> I brought out the funnest. I didn't yeah. bring out the worst. There's a difference between funnest and worst. Yeah. You know, the costume I found the other day was the dirty old man costume. And I yeah. looked at it and I laughed and laughed and laughed. That was the best costume ever. Oh, you had some doozies. You had some doozies. <laughs> the most, most irreverent person ever. <laughs> and the point of, I don't think I'm going to get dressed. The next thing she wins a contest. I know. I know. And then creeped us all out and gave us nightmares. I love the old man one. Mm-hmm. The old man hey. was awesome. Classic. Just Classic. because I offered you guys candy and to go play bingo, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd have to do it virtually. Mm. We could still we do did virtual. That. We invited. We we were inclusive of everybody. We could do virtual. Yeah, I won't be there this year for Halloween because I'm going to be in mm. Atlanta. We're doing a live version of the show on November fourth. Nice friendsgiving. Look at you, so busy. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. It's busy traveling now, recording your show. I know, right? Congrats. Congrats. Hundred thousand dollars. Congrats. Thank Hope you. Hope to get you some more after this podcast. Uh, or maybe maybe you might lose some money. Can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blame me if you lose some followers. Uh, I think this one is coming with perfect timing. I think everybody your voice will heal. I think a lot of people for sure. Good. Yeah. Good. It's a lot of heartbreak right now. It is. And I think just having you on here, Viv, just, um, it just reassures people, you know, <clears throat> that you're still around, that you still care. That absolutely. That we're all human. And I read a comment the other day that I can't remember what group I was on, but you were, you were like the ultimate mother to mm-hmm. so many people. And yeah, Myself included, and um, I I just feel so very fortunate to be able to talk to you. So I'm crying here. I'm not gonna be crying. I'm gonna go get some tequila. Yeah. <laughs> please hold. Please hold. Uh, please hold. I go it'll, get tequila break. It, it'll go well with your hauls. <laughs> yeah, really. That'll definitely soothe my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely take tequila straight. But anyway, let's Ready? go. Three, two. two. 
One, welcome to another episode of Shit That Goes On In Our Heads. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. We have Viv, the former Chief People Officer from Ultimate Software. I'm so excited to have you here. I know that you really hate doing these things, but for us it is truly an honor. And why don't you give us a little story about you, Viv? Hello. Um, I was going to say honored and so grateful I'm on here, but I'm not because I hate doing these things, but only because I love you both. But um, what do I do in intro? What do you want me to start from the from my origin of Cuba, from the beginning of Alti? Where do you want me to take this? Yeah. What brought you to the States? Start there. Communism. Um, so I came in 67 when Fidel um, took over Cuba and everyone thought it was going to be a more socialist country, was totally fooled us. So my mom, alone with her, my husband, my husband, my father and my two other siblings in 67, they brought my someone at, during that time, someone had to declare you. So my aunt, who was my dad's sister, declared us who had been here already in the States, in New York. Um, brought us to New York City. My mom left behind her four siblings, her mother, um, a very close family. So I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Uh, so we went to New York. Nobody, we didn't have any money. We didn't know the language. Long story short, went to Washington Heights, New York. Um, so that's in 67, came, was in, raised um, 67. In 70, my mom passed away. Sorry. Cervical cancer. Um, you know, those days as an immigrant, the last thing you think of as going to the doctor. She was too busy working, actually cleaning toilets, which I think leads a lot to my empathy for always the lowest paid employees and lowest paid people who no one, you know, talks about or takes for granted. So she cleaned office buildings at night. And the lady who cleaned with her told my dad, look, she bleeds, she's bleeding. Wow. Um, long story short, I had already been progressed. So she had a year, which I think about it still to this day, her knowing she was going to die. She leaves three little kids, five, eight, and 11, that she was going to leave. And on top of that, she was leaving with my dad, who was womanizer. Mm. Can you imagine what the pain she went through? Long story short, on her deathbed, she told my aunt, who was my dad's sister, that she only wanted her to raise us. And then coincidentally, my aunt had she didn't have kids it was just on her husband she actually raised me so i am the person i am because of my aunt maria Aww. who passed away in 2010 so it was her my uncle passed away in 2012 my dad passed away in 2012 an adjustment first time i had to deal with alzheimer's wow. um from one weekend to the next she didn't know who i was and i was her caretaker um so anyway um that and then it's really different perspective how you look everyone above you has gone and you're it yeah. Um, so that was hard. That was hard. It was a it's a tough adjustment going through ulti too and going through that and again just trying to be strong. But anyway, so New York. So now I was being raised by my aunt who lived in the same building in Washington Heights. My dad was nowhere to be found. Um, moved. She bought a house um that she wanted us to live in in 1981, was my first year in college. I was Pace University in New York. And she said, I'm moving down. I said, Fine, I'm going with you. I moved down shortly after she finds out my uncle's having an affair, oh, wow. typical male. Um, so she says, I got to go back. I have invested in his marriage to so let some hoe take him away. So <laughs> she came back. I said, fine, you go. I'm staying. <laughs> so then I was on my own. She had a house, but she had an efficiency. I lived in the efficiency outside. She rented the house. My sister came, I think, the year after. And then I was on my own. My dad 
never even to this day knew what I did at Ulti, did what I did, or he was too busy having babies with women. Oh, wow. And then my aunt finally moved down years later, but then I got married, I had the kids. So that's my journey into uh, how I got ended up in Florida from New York as an immigrant. Um, I'll go into how I ended up at Ultimate. Yeah. Um, my story of back in the days, too, I needed a job. I was still going to school. And back in the days, you looked at newspapers and you circled jobs and you applied. Um, my first job in Miami was Royal Bank of Canada. So it was a bank. I was a secretary because I was very good in typing. And as a woman, that was the top job you did. It was easy to get secretary right. job. Then I went to um, another bank. I can remember. And he, I don't know why they hired me in the auditing department, <laughs> which everyone hated me. Because <laughs> no one wants to see an auditor coming uh, to a teller to say, I got to check if you're stealing money. I'm like, it's a horrible job. I hate it. Nobody liked me. Like, I want to be liked. I don't want to not, not be liked. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that because you're such you a personable me? person. Like, you no, know, I was in a horrible role. That's but it. no one wanted to take that job. That's a fine. I'll take it. <laughs> that's the so I used to audit tellers and nobody liked me and I hated it. Aww. And then um, I looked at an ad in the paper for ADP. Mm. I said, you know, it was also a sales administrator, typical, they call it sales administrator, but you really were a secretary mm -hmm. uh, for the sales department for the wholesale distribution in ADP. I didn't know who ADP was. I had no idea. I, I want to try it. Go in, go in for an interview. I get the job. Uh, so it was a very small group, nothing to do. It was a very small division of mm -hmm. ADP. It was wholesale distribution. We implemented and sold GL accounts, payable accounts receivable. Um, so a lot of the peeps worked in my division. So I, all, we all got super close. But then I admired Mario Arnaiz, Mercy Sepulveda, Marilyn Amanza, because they all were implementing the accounts. And I God, I want to be like them when I grew up. I don't want to, uh -huh. I mean, I was a good sales administrator, but I'm like, I want to be like them. So I started shadowing them. Let me go back too. So I met my husband there, my first husband. I met him there at ADP. Uh, I was married to him. It's not, not, not important. <laughs> <laughs> so then Paul Gonzalez was a salesperson. So he sold and Marilyn Mario Mercy implemented for them. So I got close to Paul and Paul knew my work. I, I was always a really, it was always like, hey, I was always a leader. I think I was born a leader mm -hmm. as a child because I remember back, uh, you know, they, they always ask the question, are you born a leader or are you made a leader? I think there's a combination. I think I think I was born a leader because I remember as a very young child, always looking at things and always thinking, I can do that better. We, I can do things better. And even as I went into elementary and high school and, and college, it was always like, you know, we do it this way. I think it could be better. And everybody was like, all right, baby, you got it. I'm like, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't want to have to do all this work. Like <laughs> right. I meant there's better ways of doing this. Were you, the kid, people. were you the kid on the playground that organized everybody and said, yes, you can do this better. <laughs> well, I was the person and that I, I was the person that brought everybody together. I want everybody to just, and I think, and I, and you and I have talked about it, but I think it goes to my childhood trauma Mm -hmm. of losing my mom young, wanting to be, even, even though I was a leader, I didn't want to be the popular one. I just wanted to lead and bring people together, but I also wanted to be loved. So I had my dad who was never around, who really didn't, I know he, they cared for me, but 
like now I am with my how I was with my kids, how I raised my kids, and seeing with my grandkids. Like I must have told my kids and my grandkids twenty to times a day, "I love you. I'm so proud of you." Hugging. I'm a hugger. Like I never got that as a child, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be loved. So even my aunt, who I was my mom, who I loved and learned so much from, she also was tough love. She never sat and talked about how, how was your day and, you know, what are you feeling? And I love mm-hmm. you and I hug you. That didn't happen, but she loved me and I was always her favorite. So I know she loved me. So I think it was that need to be loved. I just wanted, I just want everyone to like me. Mm-hmm. Hence, as I grew up, um, I think it became critical, which was a perfect role for me in HR and and, and, and people team, because I, I I just wanted people all to be happy. I wanted everybody to love. I want everyone to love me. That thing, that same for me, physical touch is so critical for me because that tells me I feel loved. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm such a hugger. Like I hug everybody mm-hmm. at Alti. That brought me so much joy of just hugging, especially those that I felt didn't feel they belonged. Mm-hmm. I could sense, I'm a very good too. I'm, I sense people very good, well. So I can sense, you know, I was very conscious of looking of who was in a corner, not mingling. Mm-hmm. Who was in a room, not talking. I'm a very, very conscious of that. And I want to make sure those people felt part of of you belong. So that was my focus. But again, because I wanted, I'm, I'm always a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So, but I want to make sure everybody, and I did that as a child. I think I did that, that I brought people together and made people work together well. Um, so that's where I think my leadership values or beliefs come from, that I bring people together. Again, I didn't want to have to be the most popular, most, I just wanted to make people feel good. Yeah. So goes back to my story. So when I was working there and I worked very hard and I, and I work very hard, my work ethic says, look, I think when you come from nothing, we were on food stamps. I had a nanny from the government. I think you can't really appreciate people and appreciate what you have until you've gone through when you didn't have anything. And I never thought of myself of poor me, mm-hmm. you know, we're on food stamps, you know, my mom died. I, I never do a pity party. Like I just don't feel, I think I'm so grateful for everything I do have. Mm-hmm. And I always think it could be so much worse. And I think at Ulti, I heard so many stories and every time I'm like, oh my God, how did you survive? And I heard so many people, hard times, like I didn't have a hard time. And people always looked at us, oh my God, the poor orphans, they don't have a mom. I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of people who get molested and get beaten mm-hmm. and get like, I didn't have a mom, but you know, that's life. You know, I think I am who I am to a lot of my body because I lost my mom because I have that, in, you know, self-sufficient and independent and strong and dominant. Some people might not think that's great, but I think it developed me into the person I am because I didn't have my mom. Um, so anyway, so I started shadowing and I said, Marilyn, let me just watch you. I just want to watch what you're doing. And I really had. So the, the manager, I remember Tuesday, Glennis Redman was the manager of the implementation people. And there was another woman in charge of sales who was also, I was surrounded by three very strong women in sales in that division who I admired. I'm like, man, these are amazing women. They don't take shit from any man. I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be just like that. So I had talked to Glennis, I said, Glennis, I want to be an implementation consultant. And she said, all right. I said, just shadow the girls and, you know, go around with them and 
they'll tell me when they're ready. And they said, it's ready. We'll do it. I had no idea what I was doing. So anyway, I became implementation consultant for Paul. So Paul sold the accounts that I implemented for him. And he knew my work ethics. I mean, and then he knew my attitude. And I tell everybody at, in work, even if you don't know what you're doing, just say you do. Because you'll figure it out. I said, mm -hmm. you know what? Whatever it is, how hard can this be? Right. All these people are doing it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to get it. And I did. You know, I was a very good implementation consultant. Um, but then I went on maternity leave with my daughter. I was traveling. I had really the keys, the keys in South Florida. So I was traveling back and forth all over the place. I already had my son, but I had my daughter. And on maternity leave with my daughter, Glennis called me and said, they're closing our division. We're all getting laid off. All oh. of us. So when you come back from maternity, you're going to be laid off. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. This is perfect. I'm going to have more time with my daughter. <laughs> back in 1990, I could get a job. Now I'm feeling really confident. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the job market. Now like I could get a job anyway. And worst case, what's the worst that can happen? I can be a secretary again. Mm -hmm. I was making $70,000. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think in a scenario in life, I always think, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I know I, I'm a hustler, so I know I wasn't going to be without a job. I don't right. go to, I'll work at Publix. I will do anything it is. I have no ego. So when we got laid off, I came back and was a maternity leave. And Paul, so my last day at Alti, at Alti, at ADP was the 5th, October 5th, 1990. And Paul says, Viv, you really should go talk to Scott Shear. He's starting up the company. He needs someone to run the inside of the office. I said, nah, I don't really want to talk to Scott. I've, I saw, I think Scott maybe twice walked the hallways mm -hmm. and I saw he was real stoic. He was head of, head of sales region, very successful. <laughs> I said, this guy thinks he walks on water. I'm not my type of guy. I don't want to deal with him. I'm like, nah, I really don't want to talk to Scott here. Whoever he is, I don't want to talk to him. But then I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? So on my last day of AP, I go have lunch with him in Fort Lauderdale. He meets me for lunch in a suit. Um, he shows me a little thin business plan, maybe 10 pages, goes through the whole spiel of starting Ultimate and this is what he's going to do. And he's got a third party off the shelf software. He's going to call it AltiPay. And we're just going to, our revenue is going to be from the losses from ADP. We're just going to implement. And he has $300,000 to start the company. And he wants someone to run the inside of the office. He doesn't know what that means, but he just wants me to take charge and do what I need to do. So he had him and Paul was starting. Paul was actually working on another company already helping Scott start and they were going to sell. And Debbie Sasso, who he recruited from ADP, who worked, who was his implementation person on the payroll side, he had, she already, she was joining because Ultimate got incorporated October 1st, 1990. I started Ultimate October 7th, 1990. So I told them all that Ulti didn't start until I started because they had no <laughs> clue what they were doing. Right. <laughs> so long story short, he says, look, I got $300,000. It's the four of us. Um, I can only pay you 50% of what you're making to take a pay cut. Um, we give you basic health insurance. But I had two months of severance from ADP. Um, and he said, I won't pay you until you're out of the severance because I was getting more pay from ADP. So I right. said, fine, don't pay me for the two months. So he didn't pay me. So I make a freebie. So he didn't pay me for the two months. And then I took up 50% pay cuts. I was making 35,000 wow. driving oh, an hour and a half wild. on a stick shift. Oh, How do you survive? <laughs> Because yeah. you know what I thought was the worst that can happen. <laughs> you know, I be, and there was something about Scott that I just believed him. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? Let me do whatever it is. I, I had no idea who Debbie was. I hadn't talked to Debbie. I never met Debbie. I knew Paul, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know Debbie. So here I go into, we have a little, um, we have two little offices in a cubicle. 
my first day of ulti. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Scott was nowhere to be found. <laughs> Debbie was in the room. I can literally, she was with the yellow pages circling on companies that they were going to call. I'm like, what the hell am I getting into? <laughs> Paul sitting there doing WordStar to do a proposal for Becker and Polycock, which is the place we're sitting in because they were going to be, they were our first customers still. I'm assuming they're still the customer of UKG because that was our first pitch. I kid you not. I had behind my desk a huge printer that you were doing banners for an eight and a half by 11 binder. And it was going, and it took forever to do a proposal. So we, <laughs> Paul and I spent maybe a day figuring out. And I said, Paul, I am not a secretary anymore. I don't know how to use WordStar. He goes, well, we're going to learn. I'm like, you know what? What's worse? But it happen? was, it was that mindset of what's the worst that can happen? There's mm -hmm. four of us. How bad can this be? I got a job. I got to, I need a paycheck. <laughs> So long story short, I'm going out, you know, Scott comes in at 11 o'clock in the morning after he's played tennis in a suit. I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> he's in a suit. Um, and it was all right. Well, Viv, you got to order a fax machine because we don't have a fax. All right, I'll order a fax machine. Oh, we got the, we got to make a letterhead. Because remember, we we're talking back 1990. Yeah. We right. got to design a letterhead with our logo, US Group. Mm -hmm. um, let's go to the printers. We'll see what you think, what the cause we should. So I'm going with Scott, looking at the printers, whatever. So that's how it started. And and as the time went on, I inherited more stuff and more stuff. And and it became that Scott trusted the three of us. Scott not one to call media and say, look, guys, this is what I'm thinking. Never in 30 years did he ever do that. Never. He just said, this is your role. And here you do the office manager. Do whatever you do need to do to take care of the business. And Paul, you're going to sell and with me and Debbie, you're going to implement. It was a disaster. Because <laughs> Altibray pay, which was really Abra pay, had so many bugs. I mean, I can spend days just telling you all the shit we went through. <laughs> all these days, run out of money. Oh, shit. We didn't have money. Like, well, I don't have payroll. You know, we don't have money for payroll. So he asked Rick Wilbur, who was one of the initial investors, who was also his friend, to give oh. us twenty five dollars, twenty five thousand, to make the next payroll. It was, but you know what? None of us ever thought someone had asked me that. Do you ever think that it was going to fail? Right. And I never, in thirty years. I mean, obviously at the end it got very successful but never in those early days did i ever think what the fuck did i sign up this is not gonna work <laughs> it was never that never ever did i think it's this is not gonna work it was just we went and and we told scott look if we don't can't get paid this pair well, that's okay then we'll wait till next pair it was it was that mindset of look we're in it together yeah so whatever we need to do the four of us I learned a ton from his dad who was doing, we were still, he had a business that he had sold to ADP, but he was still running payroll for people, for businesses. So that's what I did in our spare time. Cause you remember the phone wasn't ringing. The mailbox was empty. I didn't have much to do <laughs> other than get a fax and things. So I started doing payroll. Mm -hmm. I started processing payroll. So I learned a ton from him. We went to open the bank account. We had the big checkbook thing, writing bills. So he wow. gave me a lot of the same thing is, like, I didn't know Scott, I didn't know Ruben, but they entrusted this trust that as, you know, then we started, I started working with a benefit broker to start like, well, about our benefits. And I started adding things and it was like, well, but we were just running out of money. We weren't, it took a while, even after we went public, we still weren't making money. Um, and then it was like, start hiring. Mm -hmm. Here I am hiring people basic your w4 your i9 i did a form that to get all your data mm -hmm. that was hr like all right i'll make a file put it in a file <laughs> i mean basic stuff but anyway that's how it started of 
Yeah. You know, did we anticipate the growth, the success, the money? Never in a million years. We were very happy, the four of us. And if we can just make some money where the four of us can live happily ever after and pay and take care of our family, that was it. I remember the first receptionist I hired, Michelle Cahill, who's still now a U-Crewer. Mm-hmm. Um, I must have interviewed 25 people for that job for a receptionist because now I realized like now I'm busy I'm getting busy because now I'm into sales I'm into implementation like it's a do all so I knew all the roles I implemented we went on sales like I did all set up a, a mail rooms to get reception so now and then I interviewed Michelle and Michelle's the reason we have health care for the family and I told everybody that story at new hire because she was married with a child who was the same age as Issa my daughter Missy, her daughter was Missy. And I said, Michelle, as everyone of who, those who know her, is very timid, very like gentle voice, the sweetest girl you can possibly find. So I interviewed after, again, after interviewing 25 people, and I saw Michelle, and she just, again, I go for that underdog, right? Mm-hmm. The one who always feels not part of it. And she was just so timid, so quiet, and just something that. I wanted to just embrace and help her. Mm. She's very religious. And I said, Michelle, does your husband work? He says, no, he's studying. I said, do you have health insurance for him? He goes, no, we don't. I said, what about for Missy? She goes, no, I don't. I go, I just pray she doesn't get sick. And that night I went home. Oh my goodness. I go, oh my God, her daughter is the same age as Isa. So the next morning I come to Scott, I said, Scott, she doesn't have health care for her daughter. I said, this is who I want to hire, but she doesn't have health care for her daughter. He said, you know what? Let's change our healthcare plan. Let's make it for the family. We'll cover family. Wow. And I, that's where the giving started. Sound mm-hmm. like he didn't even question me to say, well, how much does it cost? Never was a question. Never anything I've done in 30 years at Ultimate did I ever get asked by anybody how much does it cost? Yeah. Never I had to get Scott's approval for anything. I just did what I thought was the right thing to do. And it started of, that's a belief that Scott and I had. Uh, so he said, Michelle, we're going to cover you. And now we're going to cover everybody and their family. So that's how the family coverage from day one where we didn't have any money, but we made sure that the family was taken care of and the business will take care of itself. The biz- the people will take care of the business. Yeah. So that was our motto. We take care of the people, the people will take care of our business. Yeah. And that's, uh, that is so true because when I started at Ultimate, it was the first place that I actually felt accepted for who I am, right? I didn't have to hide who I was. You know what? I'm out of the closet. I don't give a fuck. And like, I never felt like I needed to hide who I was. And the one thing that I noticed just walking into the door, it was the most open and loving company that I'd ever worked for. And at that time, let's see, 15, that had been in 30 years. So, you know, you, you practiced what you preached Mm -hmm. and um, I'm forever grateful. I'm a better person because I worked for Ultimate Software. But it's interesting you say that because I think I think that was a very big goal. We just wanted to bring, we wanted the best in people to come out. And I think that trickled a lot mm-hmm. initially from Scott and I, then it was Adam and Mitch and Julie and all the senior leadership. I mean, they we had to make sure that everyone felt this way. And that's what makes it so critical where a culture succeeds in an organization. Does everyone at the top is, does everyone have these values? Does everyone feel this? Is everyone feeling inclusive, fairness, accepting, kindness? Does everyone feel this? If everyone feels this, 
the business will be fine. Yeah. Because we all hired Scott, all hired 11 of us. Again, we never had meetings. We never had strategizing meeting where people perceive that we sitting. No, everyone did their own thing. He was very good at trusting everybody. And he trusted his 11 leaders to do what you need to do. Babe, you're going to take care of the people, add them the product, Julie operate operations. And everybody had a role. And you did, and I, he trusted us to do that. So when I think it's, it's so empowering mm-hmm. when someone, you feel that from your boss, when you feel that they, they trust you, look, do what you need to do. And if you fuck up, it's okay. We're all going to fuck up. We're all, we'll fix it. Yeah. But if you trust, it empowers the individuals and it trickles down to fight for the company, to be loyal, to be engaged, to just dedicated to the company because they're fighting for the same thing and we created a bond where you girls know you know we made sure we took care of everybody with stock and the benefits and as we grew and as we got more successful my mind every night was what more can i give more can-? and it wasn't based on i'm going to research and see what work they is doing was they, i i didn't care what anybody else was doing i know what ultimate yeah. i knew i wanted ultimate to be and I didn't want to mimic if I heard work dated a better. I don't care. I want to do what's best for Alti and our peeps. I don't care what you're doing. On the contrary, if I find that you're doing something, I want to do it better than you are. Mm-hmm. So I used to talk a <laughs> lot to employees about benefits. And that's how our benefits started. It was like, Bib, you know what? I used to have this my other company. I think it'd be great. I said, okay, just make sure. It has to be great for the majority of the organization. Not just for you, because this isn't about you. It might be good for you, but is it really going to make a change and impact for the organization, for most employees? If it isn't, then I'm not doing it. So that's how it was. And then if they came to me and says, you know, in our company, we used to have, I don't know, $1,000 for adoption. I hear you had $1,000? i am going to do $2,000. Mm-hmm. And I never went to Scott, Mitch, many times, because then he was like, <laughs> Viv, how much is, I don't care. I don't care how much it's going to cost me. <laughs> I don't care. And in the beginning, who Mitch came from KPMG, it was very hard for me to get through something through Mitch because it was always, oh, how much is going to affect our bottom line? And I used to tell him, I don't care. That's not the point. That's not my role. I don't care how much it's going to cost. You figure it out. And But this is a benefit when it gets to employees. And when we give more to the employees, if we're saying we're being successful, we're meeting our revenue, we're making forecasts, we need to give back because mm-hmm. the people who are doing that for us are the people. If you don't give back, then go talk to Scott because I didn't get Scott's approval. And probably after two years, Mitch totally changed. <laughs> totally became all about the people, all about the culture. <laughs> Never questioned me for about anything because I told him, I said, I don't care what you say. I'm telling you right now, this is what I'm doing for the people. Because if I don't get asked by Scott or I have to go to Scott for approval, I'm going to give it. I'm not going to run it by you. I'm telling you, this is my house. And this is what I'm giving to the peeps. And you're not going to take it away. So either you adjust and say, yes, Viv, or I'm going to go to Scott. And it's not going to be good when you go to Scott. And it wasn't but always. Then, sorry, it wasn't But then always... he became. Oh, no, no, uh-huh. no, go ahead. No, I said, then he changed. Then he became, yeah, yeah, that you're right. Let's do this for the people. Oh, now, yeah, let's do this for the people. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, it's not, it wasn't always the big things like that. It was even yeah. the little things that would be done. Like I remember working at, you know phase one and like all of a sudden flowers would show up remember the yeah. flower guy and they're oh, like, oh yeah they've got everybody flowers and i'm like what i remember that hitting really really hard because i'm like you know that. what in perspective it was 150 dollars a run mm-hmm. but it's a little thing that, that's those little things the mm-hmm. ice cream truck 
The ice cream yeah. truck is three hundred dollars a visit. Or if the ice is it going to break the bank? If it's right. going to break the bank, then we got a lot more issues than me getting the ice cream truck. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, and truck. I told him, I said, Mitch, if it ever gets bad, I can cut a lot of costs where the peeps are, but don't affect my the family of the peeps. I'm yeah. not doing that. But you want to cut out? And then I said, so I so saw a lot of the brokers and investors, especially when Scott was going on the road, would tell us, like, you guys are raising money. But you guys are still giving to charity. You're still covering 100% of employees. You're doing all these benefits. Like you can't continue doing that. You can't continue giving options to employees. And Scott says, we're going to. We're never going to stop that. And if that's what you want us to do, then go invest somewhere else. And then they will go like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let's let's just talk. Because <laughs> I said, well, because our broker used to say, Viv, at some point you have to start charging the employees a fee for the insurance. I said, what do you want me to charge them? $50? $100 a month? Is that really going to make an impact? That's not going to make an impact, but it's still, it's that, that's what they should do. I like, but that's not the right thing to do. Mm. These people work their asses off. They dedicate their family time. Mm -hmm. They're super loyal to Ultimate. You couldn't have a recruiter talk to a recruiter because no one was leaving Ulti. I like, and you want me now to tell them that the money they're making us and the business they're growing, now they have to pay for healthcare? I'm, I told them, I said, as long as I'm here, I will never do that to the employees. And it was, it was for 30 years. We never, on the contrary, I always was always looking, let's make the benefit of that. And what else are we missing? And it was always from conversation from peeps of, it'd be great to do this. Let's do it. And it was always because of the employees, it was, was the same thing. I said, any organization that you're not giving back to the people that are making your business successful, you're an idiot. Yeah. You just don't give a shit about your people. Yeah. You don't give a shit about your people and you're in your mind, everyone's replaceable and they're going to yeah. keep making money, which you probably will continue making money. But I don't want to be at a company that's just about making money. I, we spend too much time working that like I should enjoy this. That wraps up this week's episode of Love Viv. Join us next week for the exciting conclusion. It's OK to be not OK. Just make sure you're talking to someone. <laughs>